Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Mi gente, I'm super excited about this week's wine sponsor, Herencia del Valle Wines. Herencia Wines was established in 2012 by Latino winemakers Guillermo and Angelica Herrera. With varietals spanning from Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Zinfandel, and many more, they cultivate their grapes and capture the labor and love of so many. I was fortunate to sip on their 2014 Cabernet Sauvignon for this interview. It's a full-bodied wine with intense blackberry and cherry notes. It has a 92-point rating out of 100 and a 14.5 alcohol content, 14.5%. So you're going to feel it, but it's so good. I will say I truly enjoyed this wine. It was full-bodied without being heavy and I'm sure you can tell getting through the bottle was not a challenge at all. <laughs> but for more information and to order, please go to herenciawines.com. That's H-E-R-E-N-C-I-A-W-I-N-E-S.com and order and support from Latino winemakers. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yanges. This week, my guest is my friend, Shakol Cole Franklin. I've known Cole for probably close to, or if not more than 10 years, and she is one of the most vivacious people I have ever had the pleasure to call a friend. She is a mother sister, daughter, partner, and friend. She's also a real estate mogul looking to invest and rebuild in Africa as she is learning about her own ancestry. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the chisme. Girl, I'm so excited to finally, like, first of all, to see your face, because we've talked on the phone, but I have not seen your face in so long. Right? Like, you are rocking your curls. I haven't seen you rock your curls in a very long time. You know, trying to get that island feel. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to be like you with the curls. I mean, you know, (laughs) don't be jealous. Don't be jealous. I love it. (laughs) well you know when I was living in Dallas I strained it a lot because all the humidity and everything we both did we both were always had our hair straight yeah and now that I'm back in California it's less humid and you're in Houston which is more humid so you just gotta go you just gotta rock with it now yep (laughs) just gotta let it happen yes but I am so like my heart is so happy seeing you right now seriously and I know I know. I know we've been talking about every, like all these things that have been going on. So when I had said, you know, Hey, if you ever want to come on, you were like, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, let me take this opportunity. Yeah, spread awareness, you know? I mean, yeah, because there's so... I've realized throughout the, this year is I'm a very fortunate person to have a very diverse group of friends that we've talked about these things. Me and you have talked about these things since we met. I've talked about these things with a lot of my friends since we met. So I don't feel uncomfortable talking about this stuff. Right. And so, but not everybody is like that. Not everybody has seen and had conversations or have, or has a depth of friendship because it's not just like I always I kind of joke where people throughout this time and and joke and not joke at the same time where people refer to their one or two black friends and are like let me talk to them and I'm like I don't these are conversations I have all the time and if one said well I talked to my like my black friends about this and they all said and I'm like um, if I tried to talk to all my friends, like it would not be, it would not take one afternoon, please. Like, <laughs> right. But, you know, it's been, this year has been a crazy year. This has been a, to say the least. Yeah. But before we get into all of that, I know you have your wine. Tell me what wine you're drinking and then I'll tell you what I'm, I'm drinking and then we can cheers. So, you know, I love my red. I'm a big, I'm big on my red wine. Um, my favorite is a good Pinot. You can never go wrong with a, with a good Pinot Noir. So this brand is actually Menage a Trois. And um, it's actually one of my favorite ones. And guess what? You can get it at Sprouts. And I believe it's like $9 or $10. Yeah, it's so good. Like I can, I can drink a whole bottle by myself. Well, the, I have an Herencia del Valle wine. It's a 2014 Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm. And they are one of the sponsors for the what for the podcast, right? They've sponsored for the podcast, but also they were one of our wines for the virtual wine tasting. Nice. So let me read the the notes really quick. It says intensely flavored in blackberry and cherry. This is a grippy, full-bodied wine with underlying acidity that refreshes its bolder tendencies impressively. Lavender, black licorice, and dry herb add to the complexity and layering of character. So, salud. Hey, salud. Now, I will say I'm not a black licorice person, but I cannot taste black licorice. And I like it because I feel like, you know, sometimes cabs can be really heavy. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's, um, it says it's full body, but it doesn't feel heavy. Does that make yeah. sense? Mm-hmm. It tastes really well, good. I don't. Yeah, I love. I love a good cab. I actually, I feel like the older I get, the more my taste buds change. Because back in my early twenties, I was like, oh, let me have a good riesling or a good um, moscato. And now I hate the taste. It's so sweet. I can't do sweet wines at Same. all. Like, give me my bitter red wine, and I'm good all day. <laughs> Well, you know, and it's if so someone funny. passed me white wine, I'm like, what do I do with it? Do I throw fruit in it? Okay, but here's the thing. Now you just have to figure out what type of white wines, right? Because you could probably drink, but you just need to stay away from the sweet because I'm not a big sweet wine person either. Mm-hmm. But I've realized, because girl, you, how many wine and cheese nights have we had, right? A lot. When you heard the name of my podcast, were you surprised? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Because I was telling people, if you know me, if you've been my friend at all, you've been to my house for a wine and cheese night. 
You are your confirmation. You know how I love those nights. Right. Um, but it's really just finding the the right kinds of reds, the right kinds of rosés, the right kind, the, the right kind of whites. I've noticed that I like the tartar whites, like the mm-hmm. ones that are more citrusy and more acidic. Those are the ones because I and but that's just how I am in life. I'm not a big sweets person. I like you know, more of the savory, but I love tart. Like I could just have a lemon by itself. So I'm one of those weirdo people. Yeah. Yes. Mexican martini. My next option is going to have, it's going to be some wine, a red wine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you miss my cooking? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, Tex-Mex is all right, but Right. Authentic is always better. Yes. Yes. I know. So I'm like I said, I'm so happy that you're here and that we can continue our the converse like conversations that we've already had and everything. But before we go into that and stuff, you know, we've known each other. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know how long we've known each other now. I want to say it has to be 10 years now. Yeah. It's been about nine or 10 years for sure. Wow. I could, yeah, I mean, I could totally see that. That's just so crazy. That's been that long already. Mm-hmm. It's just flown by. It hasn't it? It really has. And we used to go to the same church. That's actually how we met is went to the same church. And I don't even remember how we met, but we just clicked right away. Right, we We're did. It's like, you're my friend. You're my friend too. <laughs> Let's and go I hang out. If I'm not mistaken, I feel like, either the first or like second time we met I feel like I came over your house the same day probably like you were gonna you were like gonna set up something or you yeah you were like doing something after church and you were gonna have a gathering or something and I was like I'll help you and like right then and there it's like I'll follow you home and we're gonna set this up and and, and that was it that was it that was it <laughs> Is a, a friendship made right then, there, right then and there. And then Q became my my god puppy, and there we go. <laughs> Wait, you know that I still think of you because you know when you would do the shuffling thing and act like a you're robot, a robot, yeah. and he would get crazy. I still I'll do that to him every once in a while in your honor, of course, <laughs> because I think of you when I do it, and he still has the same like goes crazy all reaction. He does. He used to lose his mind when I used to do that. I don't know if he thought that I was really turning into a robot or a zombie or what it was but he was like I don't I do not know this person right now he would go crazy (laughs) it was so funny oh my gosh well let's go ahead and kind of just jump into everything because I feel like neither of us are going to have a loss for words right (laughs) right and your skin looks really great by the way oh thank you girl 43 now what by the time this comes out we're we're recording this four days before my 43rd birthday oh my can you believe it so crazy I can't believe it before oh my goodness just the numbers doesn't it I mean yes it sure does because who thought 10 years ago how quickly we were going to form friendship and everything and now you know, we've, we've moved, we've, we're in different phases of our life, but, you know, I think when you find true friendships, even if you don't talk all the time, it doesn't matter. Like, um, I've spoken with other people that we, that, you know, we know mutually and everything. And 
we don't have to talk all the time. It could be a few months that we even talk or anything and or six months or whatever. And, and it's like we never miss the beat. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's when you know it's a real friendship. True. So, um, so you grew up in a suburb of Dallas. How was it growing up in like kind of explain to people how you grew up, the area that you grew up Um it just, just in general, let's just start there. Like just generally the type of area that you grew up, what you, how kind of things around you were. Yeah. So, right. I grew up in DeSoto, which is the suburbs right outside of Dallas. Was there pretty much my whole life from like the age of maybe five or six until I went off to college. And, um, and your parents are still there. My parents are no longer there. They have moved out to the middle of nowhere. Oh, wait, they um, moved? They moved about six, seven years ago now. Um, yeah, okay, to a place mind. called Forney, Texas. Almost Terrell, Texas. So, yeah, they, they have, you know, and their Terrell land. Is and Terrell from Jamie Foxx. Uh, where yes. Jamie Foxx is from. Yes, he is. And so, yeah, very country life, which they love. So it's you know, it's perfect for them. But um, yeah, but I grew up in Minnesota, um, went to elementary, junior high, high school there, predominantly a more white town, white school, all the way up until I guess when I reached junior high. And then it became a mix. And then high school, it was a mix. And then by my senior year, it was predominantly a black school. I didn't realize it was so like it was white when you grew up, because when you think of DeSoto now, you don't think of that. Right. You don't. And it's it's crazy because I think what first grade, second grade, I was the only black kid in my class. That that was it. So, um, yeah, we slowly but surely you start seeing more of a mix of, of everyone as the years went on and people, you know, more people start to move out that way. I mean, it was great great childhood I think in my opinion a lot safer back then than the world is now um me and my sister we my biggest memory of like childhood would be just us playing outside riding our bikes we could go blocks down three four five blocks over as long as we're home before it's dark no one worried about us there was no just sense of is someone going to do something to them or the cops are going to mess with them? Not saying that any of the things that's happening today were not happening back then, because obviously it's been happening since, you know, the 60s and so now, but it, it was just different. We just don't, we just didn't have those concerns and those worries to the level that we have them now. Well, so speaking of, did your parents ever, I mean, first of all, you, it's just you and your sister, you don't have any brothers. Right. And but were there ever things that your parents would ever talk to you about growing up being the only black girls in school, being the only, maybe one of the only black families in your neighborhood, if maybe the only black family are those things, were those things that your parents started bringing up or were they ever discussed growing up? So we never, it was never a discussion of like, Hey, watch your back. Cause you're, you know, because you're one of the only black kids or we're in this neighborhood. But it was more of a, when, you, when you're studying and when you're doing your schoolwork and when you're striving to be whatever it is, whatever you're working for in life, it was the, 
you must work twice as hard because number one, you're a black and number two, you're a woman. So you have to, you have to go over and beyond. You have to work twice as hard as anybody else to get the same thing that they get, you know, which half the time you still wasn't going to get that, you know, but it's like, it was one of those things where if everybody else was able to slack off or put in 50%, that was never an option for us. You, right. you can't put in 50%. You're not allowed to put in 50% or less than 100% when you're Black or when you're a woman. So it that's always on the forefront of your mind with everything was, let me, you know, let me overachieve, 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 which, you know, can be um, a blessing and a curse all at the same time. I mean, even instances, uh, did you ever feel like that when you were in school? Did you ever feel like maybe you were doing the same thing as other kids and you weren't getting the same recognition or you weren't getting the same? Did you ever feel like that? I personally never felt like that, but I think it's because I was a kid. So I didn't know to look for the injustice in people or know to look for those things. Because in my world, everything was equal. Everything was fair because that's, you know, I didn't know that that lifestyle yet I knew I had to work hard because of those reasons but it wasn't so overt back then I think and so between that and then you know my or maybe parents, it wasn't like you said you were a kid and you didn't kid, know. so then you didn't know so and then by the time I was teenage years my school was already predominantly black so I definitely didn't notice it then so it wouldn't be until I went to college would be like my first in your face experience where I was just like oh this is real like this is real people and I think my my college counselor that would be like the first time I've like single-handedly experienced it like that so So before we get into that because I feel like I've heard this time and time again right from from Latinos and from Black women in regards to the college experience so I want to definitely get into that how do you feel like just when it prior to going to college, how do you feel like you're raised when it comes to your race, your culture, and how that, how you related to others? I mean, so it's one of those things where you only know what you know, and what you, what you've seen and what you, what you're used to. And so when, you know, growing up with my family and being around my family, anything that I saw was the norm, but I come from a very, I would say blessed family and blessed background because I would hear the statistics of, you know, they would say, oh, you know, in the black community, this generation is the first generation to, you know, get a college degree where both of my parents went to college and have a college degree, you know, mm-hmm. or they would say, you know, this generation going to school, they're going to get in so much debt because, you know, they have to stay at, you know, take out so many student loans, which myself as well had to take out student, some student loans, but my grandparents were able to write that check to help me pay for school. My parents were able to write that check to, to help pay for school. Um, so I just think with the town that I grew up in, being that town that was starting to kind of change like racially, that, that first group of, I guess, African-Americans that kind of moved to DeSoto they moved there because they were pretty well off. And so it wasn't until after high school that I even knew about like the how much poverty that African-Americans lived in. I was very oblivious to it because it wasn't in my circle of friends. 
you know, like yeah. even thinking back, my my best friend at the time, you know, her dad was a, was an orthopedic surgeon on his own practice. You know, they had a beautiful home. They had, you know, help maids that helped. And that's what I saw. So until, you know, again, until I went off to school, off to college is when I saw a different side of that. And when I became more conscious of the struggle that my people are going through, because I, I was not aware of it prior to leaving high school. You know, I grew up, I was on the drill team. I was in dance. We had competitions. You know, you had your, your, your private dance instructor. If you had to pay for that, your tutoring, your parents pay for that. You know, senior trips, your parents pay for that. And everybody went. No one, no one yeah. really struggled financially. And so now my sister, who is three years under me, has a completely different story because it was just a different demographic when she was in school where we, we just didn't have that when I was, you know, when I was coming out, it was slowly changing. Yeah. Isn't but, it amazing um, how just a few years yeah. can make such a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So tell me like now that you're, you're like your first ex- kind of experiences with that when you go into college, what school did you go to? So I went to the university of Louisiana which is also in the South. Mm-hmm. I mean, you went from Texas South, which everybody, there's like a, is Texas really the South thing, right? Yeah. You like, you you went so to real. the South. You went really to Louisiana. So yeah. you went from Texas South to deep South. Right. In the middle of the, of the woods South. But <laughs> I, I was somewhat, somewhat used to it because my grandparents um, live in a small town in Louisiana in the middle of the woods. And so I grew up in the summertime, spending the summers there. So was it, I was still very familiar to it, but we never left our house. So again, it wasn't something where I would have had those interactions with other people. But when I did go off to college, I would say my first experience would have been, I would say how, how cliquish everybody was. Like you didn't see the blacks, the whites, the, the few Hispanics, the um, Asians that were there co-mingling with each other and again because of the high school and the city that I came from and because it was a small town when we were like by fifth sixth seventh eighth grade when we were kind of mixing together and it was like 50 percent white 50 percent you know black it was the kids who you've known since kindergarten Mm -hmm. so there wasn't a the black kids over here and the white kids over there we we all hung out because we it was the same people almost from kindergarten to senior year. You see those same people, black and white, mm-hmm. as you know, it started to change out. And so it's just, we, again, I didn't get that exposure to all the white kids are going to sit at this table and then all the black kids are going to hang out over here until I went off to college. But I, I would say the first just craziest experience was my major. Um, I chose communications I was going to go into broadcasting and I remember when I wanted to change my major to that I called my counselor and I was talking to her on the phone and she she's going through my file like looking for my file so she can see who I am and so she sees my name which obviously once you see my name you know I'm probably black yeah well okay so I I you know I will I introduced you in the intro as Shacole Cole Franklin because I've never called you Shacole you're Cole Right. Yeah. But I know I already know your name. I don't need to, like, ask you what your full name is. Right. Right. My name is Shakole. And my sister, my little sister, when she was young, she could not pronounce my name. 
So she would say Cole. And my parents would say, go to Cole or go give it to Cole. And then once friends heard it, they say Cole and then so on and so on. And it just became Cole. Mm-hmm. But um, so, you know, this counselor, she's looking, she's like, oh, you want to do broadcasting? She's like, well, I don't know. That's kind of hard to do. And then she and I'm telling her, I'm like, no, I'm really passionate about it. I want to do this. And she's like, well, you know, it's very slim. You know, people don't really make it you know, make it there, you know, a lot of minorities try to push through that, you know, through that um, bracket, and it just doesn't work, and this and that, so she's just giving me every reason not to do it, so finally, she goes, well, come by my office, we'll look over everything and see, so I get to her office, and she goes, oh, and I was like, well, she goes, well, you're pretty, you, you might have a chance at this, and I was so insulted, I was so offended, and I was just like, seriously, like she did it because she wanted to see if you would come back, pro, right? Like initially, I don't even know, but that it was just so was infuriating. I've heard that Cole, no joke. I've heard a version of this story so many times on so many of these interviews, and it still does not piss me off hearing that. It's crazy, right? Yeah, I don't. I think I did. I didn't ever experience that because I was like, "This is what I'm doing." Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm gone. I'm like, no, this is what I want to do. I've already researched it. This, 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 this. And then I feel like my counselor's like, okay, well, why are you here then? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I can be a, I, I can, if I want to be, I can be a bit of a bulldozer. <laughs> I know you know that. I'm like, no, really? <laughs> <laughs> Not you. So when she told you that, did that steer you away or did you, were you like, no, I'm still going to do this? No, I still definitely did it. And I, you know, I changed my major or whatever. And then even afterwards, I still, I even went to a broadcasting school. So no, I definitely, I definitely decided to still change my major to it. But I think that was the first time I was just kind of like, someone was ready to close the door on me because I was a minority. But then she gave me the pass because of, how she felt that I looked mm-hmm. so it was one of those well you you can come through you know and, and it's around that same time it's crazy I used to be a waitress at Chili's and I remember waiting on this family um white family and the dad goes you're really pretty for a black girl oh so to me to him I guess he thought it was a compliment but it's not. And I was like, so basically what you're saying is every black woman is ugly. And then there's an exception. So, you know, I just kind of gave him that look and was like, anyways, are you guys ready to order? You know, because I was just like, seriously? And then to say it out loud. So, yeah, those would be and my again, thinking it's a compliment. And I'm thinking that it's a compliment. OK, yeah. let's just tell everybody that is never a compliment. You should never say you're pretty for a black girl. You're never you're pretty for a dark skinned girl. You're like Pete. You're like if you think somebody is pretty, they're just you pretty because, because they you are. just think they're pretty. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh, I know you can see <laughs> my face right now. That's just so infuriating because I've had people say, oh, like because I'm you know I'm I've never been stick thin and I've gotten the. Oh, well, you're pretty for being chunky <laughs> or you're for, you know, oh, I've never been attracted to a bigger girl. I'm not that big. Damn. You know, <laughs> right. 
I can pull down a hot man. You know this. Like, I don't have a problem. I'm like, chill out. So right. anything, if anytime you're saying somebody's pretty for a, that's never a compliment. Right. It's just, you're pretty or you're not. Like, and if you're, and you don't even need to say anything. You could say somebody's pretty and that's it. Leave it at that. And if you right. don't think they're pretty, you don't need to say anything at all. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, yeah, I definitely think those were like my first in your face experiences with that. What about the student interactions? Because you were saying earlier how you like everybody was kind of self-segregated, right? Within mm-hmm. their own kind of communities. How how did you navigate that? Did you make an effort to talk to other people or because that's just what you were used to? Or did yeah. you find yourself self, self-segregating as well? Uh, no, I think pretty much. It, it was one of those things, it was still in me to just talk to anybody because that's, that's just me. And like that very next summer, I even did my study abroad in Mexico and Southern Mexico and I went and I lived that's with why you, That's really why you want to be friends with me. <laughs> Get all that culture. Um, so yeah, I, I really am that person. You can drop me in anybody's culture. You can drop me off anywhere in the world and I'm going to fit in just fine, you know, but I, I love people and I like different things. I don't like the same thing. So if someone's like, I have this exotic dish, I'm trying, I'm your girl, let's go try it. You know, um, just, you, what was this last week? You probably saw my Instagram. I went and tried Ethiopian food for the first time ever in life. That was your first time? First girl, time trying it. I should have so taken good. that pla- that place that was like walking distance from my apartment. That place yeah. was so freaking, Ethiopian food is good. Yeah, very good. And so they had the um, the throne and they had the, the crown. And I was like, the robe. And I'm like, I'm putting that on. And so like, I'm putting it on. The owner comes out. She crowns me and everything. And I looked at her and I the said. The queen that you are, girl. Right. And I was like, am I Ethiopian now? And she's like, I grant you Ethiopian. <laughs> she's like, you're now Ethiopian. And I was like, awesome. Thank you. So. Yeah, I, I such love, a dork. <laughs> yeah, I love people's culture. I love different cultures. I'm always watching different like documentaries and stuff because it, it really do fascinate me. And I would love to just, you know, like if someone, if I won a million dollars today, it would be just to travel the world and just get immersed and just eat different food and just, you know, so I just never understood a world or a people that's so close minded and just don't care about anybody else but themselves and their way of life and their culture and it's just like there's so many fascinating things in the world that you're missing out of because you want to close it off to just what you know you know and it's just like you miss out on so much when you do that you really you really short yourself and steal from yourself when you do that oh absolutely because I think we become more empathetic as we learn about other people right Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that you that you can completely relate to what they're going through, but you have a better understanding of what other people are going through. Right. When, so you ended up going to broadcasting school. So what ended up happening? Cause I know you didn't end up going into broadcasting. So what right. ended up happening that kind of where you split from that? So the school, so not my university, but I ended up going to a broadcasting like technical school afterwards. And the school actually went bankrupt. And this was what, 2008, nine. Um, okay, this explains so much now because I remember when you were going back to school to finish and everything. Yeah. 
And I didn't realize that it had went bankrupt. Yeah, so the school went bankrupt and um, it was like literally my worst nightmare. I remember having like bad dreams about it. I remember when I heard the next morning I woke up, I was just so sure that was just a dream. And I still got ready, still got dressed, drove to the school because I was like, no, I'm going to go get my stuff together. We're going to do stuff today. And the doors were locked. And, you know, we just, I put so much money to the, for my tuition for that school. And it was supposed to be where once you're done and you graduate from the school, you get a lifetime access to the recording studios, the filming, the green room, everything. And when you don't have any of that, it's like, what do you do? Like, it's, yeah. it's gone. So was that in, did, like, did you, were you still in Louisiana at that point or had you moved back to Dallas? So at this point I was back in Dallas. The broadcasting school was actually in Las Colinas. Um, so I was driving there and, and, and going. And so after that, I was just like, well, um, what do I do now? And so I actually, um, a friend from church, you actually would know it's a mutual friend of ours. He, he was like, hey, um, a friend of mine, she's, she's an assistant manager in an apartment complex, and she's looking for a leasing agent. I told her about you because I think you're so bubbly and it's not, it's not. And I was like, okay. I was like, you know, I don't know anything about property management, but I'll give it a shot until I figure out what I'm going to do next. <laughs> so I go and talk to his friend. She hires me on the spot. And here we are seven years later, and I'm an assistant manager of a property, and I never <laughs> left. So. <laughs> so let me ask you, like, when you, like I said, we used to go to the same church. Mm-hmm. At that point, when did you start feeling like, things were shifting and you needed to your and your perspective started shifting in regards to your place in the world and what you stood for. Cause I feel like we all have different moments, right? And maybe we can't pinpoint a moment. Maybe it's just a gradual thing. For me, I remember several moments and they were, I think just in general, I've always been somebody who has been about, social justice and, and everything. But when I was going to the church that we went to, I was finding I was having more, even more problems than I ever had with it. Right. Because of the people that were going in and it was, it was angering me in a way that it, like, it was just angering me in a, in a different way. Right. Where I started noticing it was, I don't know. It's hard. I, I wish I could explain how, like how it was feeling but were there moments like what do you what at what moment or how how do you feel like your evolution in regards to you know what like you've always known you're a black woman but like wait a second things are changing and I need to stand in that and I need to take up space yeah um I think I know there's a lot of little moments but I think the main moment would have been Kind of during that same time was, I don't know if you remember this story, but um, there was a guy, a black guy who ended up shooting near El Centro at the police department. And they went and I think he hid like in the parking garage. They went and like found him and, and shot him or something. And I, And what it was during that time was... Prior to that happening, we had already heard the stories of like Trayvon Martin and stuff. And this family or friends that you feel like you had or have 
are silent about it and didn't have anything to say about it and didn't post anything on social media. But when this when this cop when they when this guy shot at this police station, not that it was a good thing by any means, everyone has something to say about it. So I was looking at it and I'm I'm scrolling through, you know, my social media and I'm thinking, these are people that I talk to every day at church. I'm standing next to, I'm in the coffee line with, they, hey, you want to go to brunch? Hey, you want to go to lunch? It's the same, it's these, these people. And I'm thinking these people are, you know, my friends. But when injustice happened to my people, it was like it never happened. It was just like, hey, what are you doing? Let's go out to eat. Hey, look, look what my kid did today. Or look what I'm doing today. Look at my cute whatever today. And, but they had everything to say when the shoe was on the other foot. So it just kind of painted a picture for me that if it, if it's not happening to you, it's not as important or it doesn't matter because it's not happening to you or your, your race of people. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I just kind of felt like I don't belong to this group, this, this group. and, And this is one thing I say to people because I've had some friends try to say this, where they say, well, you're not, you're not like, you know, the typical black person, which again is a big insult. And one thing that I have to set the record straight for people, I am them and they are me. So if you have an issue with black people at all, you have an issue with me. If you say, I don't like black people, you don't like me. I am not an exception for you. It's not a, oh, I don't really like you, but you're going to be that one black friend. Like every white person say, well, I do have this one, but I'm not your one black friend. I'm sorry, I'm not. So you either like us or you don't like me. Like those are your two choices. And it's just, I was seeing so much of that where it's like, well, where you, you can come in the circle or you can, but no one else can. And I was just like, no. I'll, I'll leave it. I don't need it. I don't want it. And especially now with me being a mom, I have a black son. So now because of the world that we live in, as he's growing up, he might say, Hey, and you know, we're also now in the suburbs of Houston. So he's now going to be at a predominantly white school. I was about to so, say in the suburbs that you're in, actually, I have family in that same city. Mm-hmm. It is a very predominantly white city. Mm-hmm. I, so when I, he says, one can I go down the like, street with my friends, the answer is, is no. Can I go to the park? Only if I'm there with you. And it sucks, but it's just like, he, he we're not in a time where he's going to be able to just go to the basketball court. And we live really close to a high school. Like he, you could walk there. Mm-hmm. And he, he, I wouldn't never let him do it because I don't trust our society with my son's safety, yeah. you know? How, over the last, obviously even four years, cause you moved, you moved to Houston right before the 2016 election, mm-hmm. right? Like that summer, well, I think it was summer before. Yeah. Or maybe it was earlier in the year. I came here in November of 2016. Okay, oh, so it was just a few months when we both mm-hmm. moved. For some reason, I thought it was sooner. So you, so, how have you seen things from your point of view, right? Progress, because I feel the same way you do. If you don't like Latino people, you don't like me. Like, and I feel like, and there's a lot of us that are self-hating, 
self-hating because you've been white passing and you want to continue to receive the privilege of being a white passing Latino. And it's self-loathing because of all of the struggle that has, you know, it's generational trauma. There's all these other things that happen within people that come from communities of color. And how have the last four years since you've moved, because your son is not even two yet, right? He just turned two last week. Yeah. Oh, girl, see, I'm remembering my timelines. (laughs) I can't even remember. I'm pretty good. How has your like personal view changed in the last four years? Because obviously when Trump began his presidency, you were not a mom. You weren't even with the person you're with now. And now you are in a, you know, a long-term committed relationship with the son. How has that like spectrum changed for you over the last four years? And how, and how do you feel like, the world sees you and has that changed over the last four years? Mm, Well, I think it changed a lot. Um, I'm a lot more aware. I'm a lot more what we now call woke. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and I have dived so much into my culture in the last four years, honestly, uh, from like what me and you talked about, my ancestor um, testing, trying to do my DNA and figure out where my ancestors are are from. I am in the process of obtaining land in Africa. My son now in his room have the largest timeline that goes down the wall and up another wall of all of the African dynasties, kings, queens, everything, you know, of who we were as a people prior to slavery. Because what I forgot what country you were able to find out where you're from. So the, con- so the country that we bought the land from is in Ghana, which um, a lot of people might not know, but when the slave trade happened, that is where the slaves were, were um, taken from, is from Ghana. So most, not all, but most African-Americans come from the West Coast of, of Africa, which is, you know, you, know, you have Gambia, Ghana, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, all of that, that's on the West Coast. And so um, there is a huge movement going on now where a lot of these countries are inviting the diaspora to come back home, you know, and a lot of people are making that move. And so many people have made that move in the last two years, honestly, because of everything that's going on in this country. And my goal is when my son becomes an adult, if he says, hey, I don't, I don't want to be here. I can't do this. Or if things get worse in this country and we have to leave, we have a place to go. If he decides I I can't do the American life, he has a place to go. I have made sure that I set that up for him. You know, as black people, every culture, when you look at it from Chinese people, they have a booming economy back home. You know, they can pick up and go, you know, go to China and, and live well. Mexican-Americans here, they can go back to Mexico. Mexico is beautiful. I've been there so many times. I live there. So, you know, they, you have that connection. And as African-Americans, to us, if, if there's something we don't like here, we don't know that we have a choice. We're thinking, well, this is it. This, it is what it is. No, you have a choice. 
There's because your whole- culture, your like you had to the, the culture of from where you actually are came, like mm-hmm. the origination of your country that was ripped from you. Right. And so people had to create their own culture. That's why so much stuff that has happened starts from the slave culture because they created their own culture. That's like where jumping the broom came, right? Because slaves right. Were, not, were not able to marry. So right. the way they showed their commitment and quote unquote were married was by jumping the broom. So mm-hmm. these things that became a cultural identity ended up coming from the slave trade. Right, right. And so, you know, unfortunately, even if you go to like museums and stuff, it, the history of African-Americans start at slavery. That's where it started. And then it progressed to where we are today. But they don't tell you who we were prior to that. I can't go walk into my local library and say, hey, I need books on the dynasties of Africa. I don't be in there. So it's just like, you know, I had to take it upon myself to educate myself and do that research myself, order those books from across seas and, you know, just to get that knowledge over here. So my family would know and my kids would know and my grandkids would know and, and just to start that lineage, you know, that, yeah. that they're going to need over there. But because you're yeah. trying to get dual citizenship now, right? Through yeah, there. so really excited about that. It is definitely a process. But yeah, trying to get dual citizenship in Ghana. So, you know, I will be a citizen of Ghana just the same way I'm a, a citizen of the United States. Um, have a really awesome group, or I call them, you know, my tribe. Uh, we are on Instagram as Dreams to Ghana. We just develop an app called Ghana Connects. And so it's a, it's a marketplace that people are able to advertise um, their products, you know, whether you have a, a store, a hotel, anything, you can, uh, you can advertise this if you live in Ghana, you know, mm-hmm. on our app and people who are interested in moving over there can also, you know, download this app and know where to go, know where to stay, get this, you know, get your transportation and all of that. Cool. So, that is awesome. Yeah. I so we're super excited. doing all this other stuff. Yeah, we have so much. The founder, um, his name is Quincy. And I mean, when I tell you he's a genius, he's a genius. And uh, the man does not sleep. And he has literally in the a year now that we've been doing this, our, our team has grown tremendously, like have really grown. And we've made so many connections with, um, you know, people in Ghana, some really good people high up that can make some things happen. And so really just trying to get that going. So other people of the diaspora, other African-Americans here know you have a choice. You don't, not Santa America is a bad place by any means. It, it's, you know, it's, you, you have the good and the bad, you know, with it as well. But just to know that you, you have somewhere to go. Like, this is not your only option. You can survive and make it and be successful somewhere else besides here. And trying to highlight the positive sides of not just Ghana alone, but Africa. You know, the only thing I get to see on TV is, you know, the huts and the kids that are sick. And that's all they show you. And it's so crazy because when you go into the actual cities, the main cities over there, it looks like Dallas and Houston. I mean, the, the colonization of the history is very real. Oh, right? yeah, for In sure. regards to what, what you learn, like you said, you initially just, you start learning about slavery. You don't know, well, you just know they're from Africa, but you don't know the countries. You don't know the history. You don't know any of that. Don't know the language, and then you know, right? You know, the Civil War, 
you know, um, the civil rights movement, you know, MLK, you know, Malcolm X, you know, maybe, you know, Selma. I don't even think they taught us Selma in, in school, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I don't um, know. I don't, I really don't think you, you learn of the lunch counter sit-ins of the stuff like that. And then that's it. Then it's like, okay, well now they have the right to vote and you know, the civil rights, the civil rights act that LBJ signed. And then it's like, oh yeah, everything is great without this, you know, and then it's just so the whitewashing and the colonization of the history of a lot of our history. So it's like the black history, Latino history, Mexican history, Japanese history. They don't talk about the Japanese internment camps very often. Right. Right. The things that happen. Um, There's a lot of stuff that they, that is just not told. And it's because our books are written by white people. Right. And they're not, they don't care about the history of anybody else. Right. They just kind of gloss over it. And, and and on top of that, not only do they not care, but they don't want you to know about it. And, you know, sometimes I ask people, do you sit back and ever ask yourself why? You know, think about if you was at a school and everybody hated you and everybody bullied you, even the teachers. At some point, you would say, there's something about me. And the way my mind works, there's something special about me because if, if I wasn't important, then you wouldn't pay attention to me. The right. only reason a bully constantly picks that one person is something that that person has that that bully wants. Yeah. Or envy or it's something, you know, right. you don't, you, if it's someone you don't think about, don't cross your mind, oh, they, they're nobody, you, you wouldn't put in the time and the effort. Right. So, you know, when I see what goes on and I'm like, to put the energy and the time to constantly oppress a people. There has to be something bigger behind that. It's like, why is that? And it's not, yes, of course it's hate, but it's something bigger than just hate. There's something that you don't want us to know. There's, well, there's, I think there's several things. And I actually um, was talking to somebody about this. It's, it's fear, right? Because if you continually, pass because right now you know we're in the middle of an election and if you continually pass bills where you are disenfranchising people the people cannot rise up and take over and if if our communities would come together even more like we could rise up and change the whole system right but it's to the benefit of the people in power to keep us separate right Right. you to disenfranchise us, to continue to keep us separate, to continue to make like, and me and you have talked about this a long time ago before where things are all constantly a black and white issue. And then you're like, you have, you know, as brown folks saying, well, what about us? Hello, all you talk about is illegal immigration. There's more to it. Like, I'm not an, I'm not an undocumented immigrant. I'm not, I was born here, but I feel like there's a lot of my issues that are not discussed as well. Like people, some things are definitely talking to me because some things are just universal, right? But then there's some things that are very specific to our community that are not discussed and are not talked about because, you know, when you were saying at the very beginning, this counselor was looking at your name and but just by looking at your name, she's like, she knew you were black. Well, people look at my name and they instantly know I'm Latina because of my last name, right? They instantly know when people make judgments ba- directly based on that, based on our names alone. 
Um, how has it changed since you've become a mom? Have you and your partner have started having those discussions on when you need to start talking to your son about different things that are happening in this world? Or are those things, I know he's only two, are those even like little things that you talk about at all now? Definitely, yeah. Um, so again, that he is only two, so you know he won't understand right now. But um, a really good example, like I said, he just had a birthday. Um, and I had a friend call me and she said, hey, um, what does he want for his birthday? And I said, what I'm telling everyone that he wants are books. And in these books, I want books with black characters. And it was like, okay. And now he has, he has a bookshelf, but his bottom shelf is now full. And every book is, is black characters. And I think it starts with representation. Him being able to see someone that looks like him in a book, um, even though he can't really read right now, but just opening the pictures. You know, right. um, right now we're having a, a book, a book that we read a lot to him is the book of Mansa Musa, which is one of who was African and he was like a billionaire, one of the richest men on earth. So I read that to him a lot uh, for two reasons, to start teaching him, you know, about money and stuff like that. But also to look and say, hey, here was a man who's the same color as me. He's a king, you know. And so I think, you know, just starting there is like that first seed that's been planted, that we're planting in his head. Because, of course, when he becomes seven years old, eight years old, that's when we're going to have to sit him down and have that have that talk. But if you sit a kid down and have that talk with them when they don't know who they are, all that's doing is destroying the, them, you know, mm -hmm. their self-esteem, what they think of themselves, because you're telling them, hey, the world is already going to hate you because you're Black. You're a Black man in America. You're going to be targeted. You're going to not get be given opportunities. The police are going to harass you. All these things are going to happen. So you can't have all that. And that's something I see in our society. You cannot have all of that happen to a person and the person thinking they're nothing. And then yeah. you add that on top. Then that's where your, you know, the lack of ambition come in, right. maybe violence, drinking, substance abuse and things like that because then they're like well if everyone hates me and I don't think I am anything what's the point so before the world gets to my son and tell him what they feel like he is not I am telling him now what he is so he already knows going in before they can tell him anything he's like no that's not true that's not Girl, true that is so good that is such a good perspective in regards to just say like you're showing him this is who you are and you're worth more than what anybody could ever tell you. Right. Love that. That is so awesome. I'm going to send some um, bilingual books. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a niece who's Mexican <laughs> and black. I know. Yeah. I do yeah. know that because your, your brother-in-law is Mexican. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Girl, you think I forgot? <laughs> who do you think I am? <laughs> so our family, our family is, is very, um, very mixed. My niece will you know, talk to you and give you this sentence in Spanish and the next sentence in English. And you better just figure out what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to talk about what we could do as individuals to change. And I think you kind of touched on it in regards to exposing yourself to other things. 
But for people, like what else do you think people could do to help motivate change, to help motivate how they see people instead of just by skin? Because to be perfectly honest, I hate that I'm having to have these conversations about like with my friends in regards to their experience about of being black in America. I know I hate it because you're my friend regardless, right? Like we've been friends for a long time, but the fact that now we're having to have these, these not that we've not ever had these conversations, but that these things now truly have to be amplified and that we're having to share these stories because so many people don't understand that frustrates me mm-hmm. because my people, the people in my life are rad. Like, and you can be an asshole no matter what your skin tone is. Assholeness does not <laughs> discriminate, right? Just like being a freaking wonderful person doesn't discriminate. What do you think are the first steps that people can do to just try and understand and just try, like, if there's anything you could say to somebody, what would that be? I mean, of course, the main thing is, is, just kind of digging, I would say number one, digging deep into like yourself as a person, you know, when you, when you form a thought, you know, I don't, I don't like these people or even, even as a, someone who's just a standby, I call them standbys, which is people who are not racist or not actively involved in it, but then they don't say anything either. I call them standbys, but even if you're just a standby in your mind, being honest with yourself, what is your truth? when you look at anyone that's a minority or even if you are a minority against other minorities or whatever the case might be, do you, do you honestly feel a hate for an entire race of people or have you been taught to feel that hate, to feel that way? And if you were taught that, why was that the person who taught you that, why, why were they taught that? And I think just almost even finding out I think a lot of people who are, and I, I don't know, because I'm not a, I'm not a racist person, so I can't say what they think, mm-hmm. but I would think anyone who is, I would say probably half of them, if not more, don't even know why. Yeah. Don't even but know why. But it's true. Why. It's taught. Hate is taught because yeah. as kids, you don't see that, right? And I know that me and you discussed somebody that we noticed started having some very vile things to say. Yeah. And we we're both like, bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I, I don't have time to deal with, with somebody like that in my life. How do you feel about people who, let me ask you, and I don't know if you know any or not, but how do you feel about Black Trump supporters? So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just watching you guys. I, I didn't know I was going to ask that question. It just came out, so. <sighs> I'm trying to figure out the the best way to put it because in order for me not to sound too political or not political, it there's a lot of research behind it that Mm -hmm. like your listeners, if they're confused about, they will have to just do on their own. But what I will say is like this, a lot of people, I'm going to start with Democrats and Republicans. You do not have to be a certain race to be a Democrat or to be a Republican. Exactly. People feel like because they are this race, they have to be a Republican or you have to be a Democrat. You don't. Write down on a piece of paper 
And my dad told me this, write down on a piece of paper your true values. And when you write them down, you will be surprised on who you, who, which side you really kind of side with the most, you know? But who represents that party at that time is who we're voting for. Because so what you, you say and what you do can be two very different right. things. And the reason I say that, because you could be a, for example, a black person that's in a, or a white person that's a Republican, but you can be not against Republicans, but against Trump and decide because I am against Trump, I'm going to vote for Biden, although I consider myself a Republican, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people there's feel a lot like, people like that right now. Yeah. So I think a lot of people just throughout the years feel like, oh, well, I'm a Democrat. So it could be Kanye West. It can be <laughs> a stripper. It can be anybody. And I have to vote for that person because I am a Democrat. And then I feel like Republicans are like, you know, it can be your the the the, the president of the KKK can come and say, I'm running for president, the Republican Party, and because you're a Republican, you have to vote for that person. And I just wish people would quit thinking like that. Mm-hmm. Quit voting for, vote for the person that you see. If you feel like that person is not a good person to be fit for president, then they're not. But I mean, as far as, you know, Black people voting for Trump, it's, I think to each his own, either way, I just my personal opinion, I feel like both sides have done nothing for the black community or 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 not as much as they could do because some mm-hmm. people say nope I got facts and then they'll make a list of every little single thing so <laughs> you know or you know Republicans riding the coattails of Abraham freeing the slave you know Abraham oh my goodness. freeing the slaves and you're like you cannot ride those coattails those coattails have been cut a long time ago and, and right and here's the <laughs> thing just to that real quick Abraham Lincoln did not wake up one day and say you know what my conscience got to me last night. Yeah, and I exactly. feel like you guys should be free. That never happened. It was an economic decision that he had to make for the economy. It had nothing to do because he wanted to do be nice, a nice gesture. It had nothing to do with that. Yeah. In order for this country to run and the money to continue to flow, because when you have free labor, there's no capitalism in that. So he had to free the slaves in order for capitalism to work the way it's working today. So people using Abraham Lincoln like he was a savior or something, he didn't do that to benefit us. He did that to benefit them. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't even, I don't even understand where people go with with that statement at all. But but again, it's people use it for their own benefit, right? right. Whatever they want to use. And I think we all do that to some extent. We all use whatever information we have to benefit our argument. We all do that. But they've been riding this coattail for way too long. And I'm like, really? Like, let's, but then, it could, okay, then you want to say that, but who gave, you can say a Democrat is the one who signed the Civil Rights Act, LBJ, sign the civil rights act right Mm -hmm. but then you have like there's been back and forth like you said there's been back and forth yeah and there's a lot of stuff that truly affects it it really affects black and brown communities very similarly Mm -hmm. um the crime bill that happened in the early 90s that really affected black and brown communities disproportionately and then you have a privatization of the prison which has increased the prison population by i don't even know how many fold you know 
three, four, five fold. I don't probably even more because you have privatization of, of prisons, which is ridiculous. Like prisons yeah. should not be private. If you're being sentenced by the state, by the government, that's where you should, that's who should be taking care of it. And the fact that, and then there's all these other things on top of that. So what would you like your son to see from this world? Whether, you know, just in generally, not just necessarily in the United States, what would you like to see? What would you like for your son? Um, I, I mean. Who is the cutest, by the way? Thank you. I've he's actually, he's, I actually see their car pulling up. He's actually uh, coming home now. But <laughs> I, I have mean, yet to see him like on FaceTime or anything. Really? So well, maybe I'll bring him up for just a yeah. sec. But yeah, I mean, I would love to see him have the childhood that I had. I would love to be, you know, to see him grow up in this country and just have a normal life and have the same opportunities as as everybody else. Um, you know, we know racism is always going to exist. I'm just hoping by that time, because I, and I could be wrong, this is not a fact, this is just my opinion. Um, I do feel like most of the racism is our older generation because they're closer to you know, the actual segregation from, yeah. yeah, like, you know, when I look at it, my grandparents were alive during segregation. So of course their outlook on people is going to be different from mine. Yeah. My outlook and my experience is going to be different from the outlook of my son. So I'm hoping that throughout the next years, you know, as it's so open the racism that we have here and people are now seeing that we have everything that's going on that a change do come that by the time he comes up to his teenage and adult young adult you know years things have gotten somewhat better where the world is a safer place for him or america is a safer place for him right if it's not we have that place we can go but peace (laughs) yeah peace but um you know i do hope and pray that um you know, he has those opportunities that I know a lot of kids right now are just not going to have because of what's going on. I asked you to describe your life in one word and you said abundant. Tell me why you chose that word. Which word did I, which word did I choose? Abundant. Abundant. So I think I chose abundant just because I feel like I do live a very, um, blessed life regardless, um, from family to just the people that's, that have came in and out of my life, to our home finances. You know, I, I see a lot of things that's going on in the world, but I have been very blessed to not been directly and personally affected by it. Mm-hmm. So I do say, I do say, you know, it's an abundance. You know, my cup definitely does run over. You know, I, I love my son. He's the, the best thing that's ever happened to me. Literally everything that I do is yeah. for him. To make sure and I know that there's been struggle. I mean, I've been there with mm-hmm. you, you know, there's been struggle. And yeah, of course. Things have never been, per- you know, things are never perfect. But yeah. let me actually, I want to go back to something really quick before um, the last couple of questions. You were saying there was a book that you were reading to him because it starts talking about finances and everything. Was that something that was taught to you, like in regards to, I mean, I know that you said your, I know that your, your parents were both college graduates. You grew up in a, you know, a nice household and everything, but did they start talking to you about money and teaching you about money and generational wealth at a, 
young age? Or is that something you started learning as you grew up? And now you want to make sure that that's, you're able to build that and share that knowledge with your son? Yeah, definitely. So money has always been something my parents have talked to us about. Um, you know, my my mom is very um, frugal. She always been big on saving, always taught us to save money. Um, my dad used to be part of a, um, a multi, you know, level marketing uh, company that he was very successful in. And from there, he, you know, made a lot of investments and stuff like that. And so anything, you know, growing up, like as a kid in teenage years, it was more of just, you know, save your money, do this, do that. Then as an adult, you know, then it got more into, you know, stocks and, you know, different things like that, that, you know, that our parents have taught us. So it is definitely something that I was taught, you know, and as an adult, because I have such an interest in it now, because even in my early 20s, I wasn't there yet, you know. And so since I have been, you know, studying money more in generational wealth, I think I have taken it to a different level of what, you know, my parents taught, of course, which is, you know, what their parents taught, you know, their parents, my grandparents taught my parents, you know, you go get a good, you know, go to school so you can get a good job. And then my parents is like, go to school, get a good job so you can be a boss. And then I'm going to be teaching my, my son, get a good education so you can be the business owner. So you can be that entrepreneur and not be an employee. So Which is something that you're doing now by getting your real estate license and right. the things that you're doing. Right, right. And so, you know, each generation we teach more, we teach what we've been taught, but we teach them even more so they can go further, you know, and it's just a lot of um, things that I have discovered as an adult, you know, that people do and just the field that I was working in, just a background on that and property management, um, I would look over a lot of people's applications that's applying for an apartment and get them approved. Well, with that, they have to show income and they have to show bank statements. So I would see these college kids of every other race and they would say, hey, I just graduated. Here's my offer letter. And that offer letter would be offering them 80, 90,000 a year. And they would say, um, and I would say, well, you might need a co-signer if you don't have any credit or any money yet, although you have this offer letter. They would send me their bank statements. I would run their credit. Credit was perfect. And they will already have 30, 40 grand in the bank. Oh my gosh. Fresh out of college. And when I started seeing that, I was like, what is this? And I started seeing that their parents are setting them up at the beginning. Yeah. These are trust funds that their parents have set up since they were a baby. So when they do go to college, they're, they're graduating debt free and they're, they're graduating with that lump sum of money to get started. And I have seen that a lot in the white community, a lot in the Asian, Asian and Indian community. And then a little bit in the Hispanic community and absolutely not at all in the black community. And so I was like, you know, I think that's where I was like, I am going to set my son up that way. Like I am, you know, and he already has a, you know, custodial account that I set up for him and that I, part of my check would go into before I even saw it. So, you know, and I was like, when he graduates, I, he needs to have those same opportunities. But when you don't even know that's a thing, you know, you don't know to do that. But these other families, they, they know to do those things. Yeah. So, you know, motherhood will make you look at things a lot differently. 
That is crazy. I had no, I mean, I know my parents would had no idea and we, I grew up with, you know, other issues in regards to money and everything, but that's really good to know, like having a custodial account, the things that you need to do. I had no idea people, I, I was not in a community that anybody comes out with $34,000 in the bank because their parents have saved for them like that. I mean, yeah. I have some friends that have had opportunities, but definitely not. There are very few and far between. Well, the final couple of questions is they're the easiest things, girl. <laughs> let's, let's end it on a up note and everything, but it, um, what have you started any new hobbies or anything since during this time of COVID? Yeah, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Drinking wine is not a new hobby. Whatever. We have been doing this together for years. That is not a new hobby. We have gone through a plethora of wine together. Right. No, no. Um, actually, I'm um, gardening. So I just. So many that. people have gar- are gardening. Yeah, I haven't. It's something I've never done in my life. And so I had, you know, my significant other uh, dig me a garden and make me a garden. And so he did. And we planted some um, cucumbers and uh, carrots and peppers so far. Um, I got one really good cucumber out of it. So I'm getting there. The <laughs> I was going to two... say something else, but it'd be dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I got that one good cucumber, but my carrots, my carrots are dead. My peppers are dead. And we're actually, uh, this either this weekend or next week, we're actually going to dig it up so we can get the winter stuff going in, which is like our the Brussels sprouts and the uh, broccoli and stuff like that. So, yeah, I have become really interested in that. Look so, at you. I'm trying to see if I have a green thumb. Well, sounds like you don't really. <laughs> Not so far, yeah. Everything's dead. Yeah, my Except dad was like, cucumber. "Yeah, my dad was like, you can't just throw it all in the same thing and, and like think it's all gonna grow. You have to see how much water, how much soil, the depth of everything for each crop that you're doing." And I was like, um, "Yeah, you have to separate them. You can't just all put it together. You have to like. In, that's why they have rows of stuff, yeah. right? When you go, yeah, I just threw it in. I was like, "Go for it." <laughs> Sounds like you. Just yeah. do it. Let's just go do for it. it. Well, the last question we always ask, we start with the wine and we end with the wine. And you already said it, but let's say it again. Your favorite type of wine, red, white, and, or rosé, and what type? My favorite type is, a, is Pinot Noir. My favorite brand right now is Menage a Trois. I've been drinking that for, for a minute. I have some other good brands, just depending. Like if I'm going to go... Um, if I'm going to dinner, I would order like an Estancia, Estancia mm-hmm. brand. Um, but it just depends where I'm at. But I love a Pinot. I do like a Cab. Um, I can go for a Merlot. But yeah, that's that's my thing on wines. I, I even have like my own like wine, um, like mini cellar. Mm-hmm. It holds like 10 bottles, but I make sure it's full at all mm-hmm. times for guests. <laughs> okay, well, just make sure there's some for me. There will be. Don't worry. <laughs> Cole, I love you so much. You're such a wonderful friend. And I know that we're going to be talking more after this, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story because, you know, the one thing that I think people sometimes forget is everybody has their own story. You could talk to five Latinos and they're all going to have a different story. 
just like you can talk to five people from the black community. They're all going to have a different story. Like it's all different. And um, we cannot ever assume that one person's experience is what everybody else's experience is. right? Right. So I appreciate you sharing. I cannot wait to see that baby. And yeah. until next time, mi gente. I was going to say, maybe I can. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Med podcast. For more information on Cole, please see the show notes. You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Med on our website, thewineandcheesemedpodcast.com. There you will find the names of the wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, our guests, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on Instagram at The Wine and Cheese and Facebook at The Wine and Cheese Podcast. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese please subscribe, rate, and review. Five star ratings are always appreciated, and your reviews, those positive reviews, are appreciated even more. And believe me, I do read each and every review, and they are so appreciated. Until next time, mi gente, saludos.